G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And you're listening to Alternate Galaxies, our irregular, uh, some would say very irregular <laughs> podcast, Dave, where we look at other great sci-fi and fantasy uh, shows that are out there on the box or in cinemas. How are you? I'm very good, Rob. Sometimes we'll use these to look back at very old shows or shows from a long time ago. Sometimes they're here to review the recent, and this is a very recent thing. It is indeed. Tonight we're looking at Star Trek Picard, which only has one season out there in the wild as of this recording. Uh, This is something I watched at the time it went out, week to week, but Dave, you've only just recently seen it. Yes, so I watched the first three as they went out, and then I was overseas for about four weeks and I didn't get to watch it, and then I got back and suddenly the world fell apart and I kind of just wanted to watch very comfortable TV for a little bit Mm. rather than than this. Uh, But I did get back into it a few weeks ago, partly because... We said we were going to do a review of it, and I was very keen to do that. So I have uh, finished it just uh, last week, and we are here to talk about it. We are indeed. And of course, this first few minutes of the podcast, folks, will be spoiler-free. You can hear what we have to say, but we will reach a point where the spoiler curtain will come down, uh, and Iron Curtain will descend across the podcast, and and, uh, we will be talking spoilers. But for this opening section, Dave... I guess, uh, what were our initial expectations going into Picard? Well, as you may remember, Rob, we discussed on the Doctor Who show when this was first announced what our thoughts were about it. And I was a bit sceptical because I thought there's going to be a lot of fans who are going to want Star Trek The Next Generation Season 8. And you can't do that in 2020. Like, that's a 25-year-old show Yeah. um, in, in terms of when it finished it's probably going to be a lot more like Discovery. And are those two different audiences going to click? Now, it has turned out to be very much more like Star Trek Discovery and I would say quite a long way from Star Trek The Next Generation Season Mm 8. I expected it to maybe straddle that divide a bit differently, um, but I definitely went in knowing that that was a divide with fans, including myself, I kind of came to realise when I looked deep into my heart that was the, the, the divide fans were going to straddle and I thought it would, you know, struggle to do that. What were your expectations, Rob? Well, I'd been following this series quite closely for a, for a long time before it came out and there'd been an awful lot of negativity around it. And I've jotted some of these headlines down, you know, upcoming Picard series still has no title. Uh, Picard series production delayed. Netflix, disappointed in Discovery, passes on Picard. Or Next Generation cast not approached for Picard series. Now, I'm old enough and ugly enough to know that, you know, there's plenty of rumour in innuendo about every series going around, you know, often with no basis. And sometimes it's just there to try and hurt a series. Either a section of fandom is trying to hurt a series or maybe even the competition is trying to do it. No, you're absolutely right if I can just interrupt. Mm. And I do remember reading that stuff. And then when they released that teaser trailer with a couple of the cast members in it... And that instantly debunked this idea that none of the old cast were coming back. Indeed. You know, um, but I I was going to say at the same time, there's never smoke without fire. Because I can also remember talk of merchandise deals falling through as the series wasn't that interesting in terms of merchandising. And I've got to say, all these months on, I've never really seen any merch for this show. You know, I haven't seen action figures or statuettes or anything like that. You know, stuff that I think would go hand in hand with the Star Trek show normally. So I think at least some of the pre-show talk was true. 
and it certainly made me wonder what the show would be like. So at the end of the day, I went in thinking, okay, it's not going to be TNG. It's going to feel more like modern sci-fi. You've said, you know, you, you thought it'd be closer to Discovery. I was thinking maybe something similar to Battlestar Galactica, the reboot of that. Okay. And I was actually okay with that. And and here's the kicker. I'm not a massive, massive Star Trek fan. I've seen a lot, almost all of Star Trek, but I wouldn't say I'm a massive fan. So it's interesting. I can see these things and go, oh yeah, I'm cool with Star Trek being like Battlestar Galactica. Whereas I, whereas I know a fan would be like, <gasps> you can't say that. <laughs> you know, it can't be like Battlestar Galactica. So I was pretty cool with it going in. Yeah, and I think over the course of this podcast, that dynamic is going to be interesting because I'm not a full-on Star Trek fan in the way I am Doctor Who or Blake Seven, but I, I do really like it. I do know a lot about the mythos and, and, and the couple of series that I really like at TNG and DS9, I have consumed a lot of multiple times. So I'm, I'm probably further down the fan spectrum than you are on Star Trek. Okay. Well, that spoiler warning is coming ever closer, but let's talk about our initial views on it spoiler free dave i find it really hard to give a opinion on this that i can put into a sentence there are so many bits in here i think that some of the ideas in this show are really really good i think some of the premises are really interesting Mm. there are aspects of the show that really engage me but as a whole I found this a bit of a struggle to work through. And by sort of part four or part five, I was, you know, not not that desperate to keep going. And I suspect if this wasn't Star Trek Picard, but was Space Adventures with Captain Smith, <laughs> I probably would have stopped around the middle. What about you, Rob? Wow, we, we are going to differ on this, Dave. Because uh, I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, <laughs> okay. Especially in relation to something like Star Trek Discovery, which I find just bloody stupid 75% of the time. I was watching this thinking, wow, some writers can still tell good stories. <laughs> so this was much more enjoyable for me than Discovery, which is the most recent Star Trek touchstone, obviously, to compare it to. Because I think that's one important thing you know, to compare this to, say, TNG or Voyager or even the original series, it's it's interesting to do, intellectually interesting maybe, but it's ultimately folly because we need to be comparing it to something else that's happening on TV right now. So with, with Discovery as my touchstone, I thought this is immeasurably better than Discovery. I have a reaction to your comment there that I really want to dive deep into. So mm. maybe before I dive deep and risk accidentally spoiling, this is <laughs> this is this is the the chance to uh, go away and watch it if you don't want to be spoiled. Will we put the curtain down now? Cool. Uh, curtain's down. Let me launch. Um, <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> no, well, no, okay. Let me let me let me tease apart something you said there, Rob, about. It can't. You're right. It can't be next generation. It can't be DS9, in terms of its tone, its style, its format. Because television has moved a long way away from that format. And there's a couple of comments I want to make that as we get into the episode. However, and this is maybe where our approach to Star Trek fandom is going to show. I think that this is quite acceptable television sci-fi. Mm. I think that this is very bad Star Trek in that Star Trek at its core has a vision, the Roddenberry vision of a utopian future and a 
future for humanity that has certain values, a certain ethos that that is good, that has moved past the vices of the 20th and 21st century. And it's about how we take that out into the galaxy. And even a show like Deep Space Nine, which I'm a huge fan of, and is sort of known amongst those earlier Star Trek series as the Dark One, Mm. is a darker one, but it's not about mankind changing and becoming less adherence to those values. It's about how mankind, when challenged with huge, huge challenges, the Dominion War and all that goes with that, how we have to sometimes turn a blind eye to things or sometimes compromise our values to win the bigger fight. There are great episodes of DS9 which are about Starfleet saying, well, maybe we need to move past democracy and impose martial law on Earth so we can save the Earth. Mm. And then, the, But the resolution is no, that then we lose what is value about our paradise on Earth. Uh, there are episodes where it's not Cisco as the captain who changes his values, but he gets characters like Sloane, like Garrick, to do bad deeds that he then has to turn a blind eye to when perhaps, you know, Picard wouldn't have been, or had the, mm. the luxury not to. In this series, and I want to get your reaction to this, Rob, mm. in this series, the Federation are xenophobic, yep. they're racist, yep. they're intolerant, and to me, that just moves the premise fundamentally away from Star Trek. Now, I'm not stupid. I get what they're doing. They're saying that America now has moved away from its liberal values and it's send me your poor and your weak and your huddled masses yearning to be free and, and there are problems with xenophobia and immigration in, in the US body politic. I get that's what they're doing and I get why they're doing it. But I watch that and go, this isn't good Star Trek, even if some of it's good sci-fi. There, there's my launch, Rob. Mm. Uh, please react. Oh, look, I think I'll react a great deal to that when we get to the discussion of Picard himself, which we'll, we'll get to in a minute. But I would say about the format and the tone of the show, I mentioned earlier I had a feeling it might be Battlestar Galactica-like, the, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. And this was right before it launched and we started seeing footage. And I think I was kind of right. It has that modern feel. It has swearing. And I don't say that because I think swearing makes a show. But I say it because I think it is a real departure from what 99% of Star Trek's been in the past. Mm-hmm. Which includes all the stuff you're saying. How Starfleet acts and, and all of that. So I absolutely agree with you on it. And I'm actually going to keep my powder dry until we get onto the discussion of Picard himself because I think what I have to say is is mostly about him, and that just branches out into the overall story and how things like Starfleet are treated and, and all of that. So I'm going to be a bit of a tease there, Dave. No, no, that's that's fair enough, but I'll continue the point you made there because I do think you're right. This this is a very modern show. Mm. And, 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 and look, I get that. It, it, as much as I kind of realise that in my heart I would have liked this to be Star Trek The Next Generation Season 8. I I know it can't be that. Mm. Any more than RTD's Doctor Who could have been Season 27 of Doctor Who. Like, I, I get that. Yeah. But I did miss the serialised aspect of it. And this was a series that it's very, very hard to point to an episode and go, that's the episode where... Because it really did feel like one long movie broken into ten parts. And, and that's that's television today, but... I compare it to The Mandalorian, which we had a discussion about over Christmas. Mm-hmm. And with The Mandalorian, even though there are very arc-heavy episodes, there's also there's the one where he meets the young 
bounty hunter and goes and has an adventure. There's the one where he meets the dude on the moisture farm. Uh, there's the one um, on, on the space station with the, the, the criminals. Like, like there are stories in The Mandalorian in the middle that I think give it a semi-serialized feeling. And mm. I missed that here. And I think it might have been a easier watch had it just been slightly more firmly, this is the one where we go to this planet and do this thing. Yeah, it's not as overt. I mean, I can think... I mean, it's, what, it's about six months since I've seen it now. But I can think of episodes where I think, well, that's the one where Picard puts the crew together. And that's the one where they're on the Borg cube. And that's the one where... I can sort of think of what happened in particular episodes, but it's not as clear-cut. I guess, yes. As, yes. as a Mandalorian episode where this is the one where he saves the baby, this is the one where this happens. You know, this is the one where he saves the village from the, the ATST and so on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. Um, can I make another just very um, fanish comment? Mm-hmm. Of course. I, so I'm interested, again, because I think we're coming at this from very different angles, which is really interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, at, at least I find it so. <laughs> I hope you do too, listeners. Um I found it interesting that they rested this on the death of Data. Right. Because I can remember seeing Star Trek Nemesis. <sighs> Just let me <laughs> let me get the... Uh, the okay, right. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. remember seeing a terrible movie. Um, like, not just a bad Star Trek movie. That was a bad movie. Um, I can remember seeing Star Trek Nemesis where they had this really weird ending where they had Data sacrifice himself to save the Enterprise. And then they really pulled back really hard from it right at the end where they had the B4 android that Data had tried to upload himself to early in the movie start to whistle the, the, the tune that Data was whistling early mm-hmm. such that I could remember all of my friends and all of my friends and everything sort of going, oh, Data's not dead. He's been uploaded to B4. Like, mm-hmm. if they want to bring him back, they can. And it was that really sort of like half and half death. Yeah. You know... Um, and it's fascinating. It felt weaker even than me watching Spock die in Star Trek Two, even though I knew because I didn't see these till they were out on VHS. I knew the next one was called The Search for Spock. <laughs> and and but, but but Spock's death still landed more than Data's did because they just in the movie, like in the next scene, they 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 pull away from this idea that Data's dead. So I found it really interesting then that the series has really gone deep in this idea that Data died and it was this massive um, personality changing thing that's deeply affected Picard and um, a, a lot of other people. Yeah, I, look, I'm, I'm skipping down through my notes now to where I've put some stuff about Data because I put that the series, this series did sort of give us the feel that they were really best mates when I didn't have that takeaway from TNG at all really <laughs> and even the fact he sacrificed himself for Picard and indeed the whole ship in in Nemesis I still don't buy the sort of adoration and 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 mystique with which Picard sort of holds data with in this series it, it didn't feel completely earned to me it's like they're almost hoping people don't remember what happened in TNG <laughs> like they're certainly friends yeah. but not to this degree you know no you're, you're absolutely right I mean Data's best friend on the show, he, he said it himself continually, was Geordie LaForge. Correct. And the person closest to Picard was undoubtedly Beverly Crusher. Yes. Um, and, and, and Data wasn't someone that Picard was particularly close to any more than the rest of his bridge crew. And in terms of the effect it had on him, 
we saw the effect in TNG of Picard losing his best mate, Jack Crusher, hmm. during um, a mission that they were both on when P- Picard was in command of the Stargazer. And, and that was something that sort of played out in Picard's personality, but only at the edges. And somebody with whom he didn't have nearly that close a relationship. You know, he was, you know, the person who introduced Jack to Beverly and I think he was best man at their wedding and mm-hmm. all of that sort of thing. He wasn't that close to Data. So I... No. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you also was somebody who is um, less of a fan picked up <laughs> on that because it, it just seemed really odd to me to hinge this whole thing on Data. As cool as it was to see Brent Spiner again and that was a great moment. Of course, of course. But the way he's dreaming about him and he, he's like borderline obsessed with him. It's like, where on earth did this come from? It's so strange. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and I've got something else on that, but I'll, I'll save that for our Picard discussion just like you're saving some stuff for that. Well, Dave, we've been talking a bit about Picard here and, and the whole data thing. And although I had some other notes to talk about, we can get to those in a minute. Can I talk about Picard and come back and sort of answer your or try and answer your question about Starfleet and how the, the universe has gone in this era of the show. Yeah, go on. Now, I know fans find it very hard to take in that Picard is now some sort of slightly doddery, bewildered almost, old man. But, you know, time comes for everyone in the end. He's not the man he used to be physically. He's very old. But what I do sympathise with, however, is this seemingly modern idea that all of our heroes have to be fallen and flawed. And, you know, J.J. Abrams and his crew are behind this and Star Trek at the moment, and they obviously did The Force Awakens, where Luke Skywalker is this fallen hero who's hiding from the world after he's stuffed up. And here we have it with Picard. Now, I get the drama this creates. Again, you were saying, I'm not stupid, I can see how these things work, and and same with me. I can see how this works i can see what they're trying to do but it's becoming a bit of a trope you could have picard as this retired hero of the fleet you know and then his actions in this series make him go against starfleet and there's the drama right there that's the conflict and it would also satisfy the fans that picard had gone out on top and not like a chump and all of this stuff so i'm i'm with the fans and the backlash on what they did to the character and I see what they did to the characters very similar to what they've done to Starfleet. They've sort of given it a, a twist, a darker twist, to, to, to sort of amp up the drama. But I just think there are smarter ways they could have done it. But I think this is just becoming a thing in, in modern sci-fi. You know, apparently none of our childhood heroes can ever have possibly retired well or gone out on top. They all had to fall, apparently. And to me, it's just tired and, and boring. I look forward to a day where we can go back to a franchise something we loved 20, 30, 40 years ago. And the main character from that franchise is still just a legend. And they aren't uh, hated or mentally ailing or anything. They're just a legend. (laughs) I'll stop there. I I see what you're saying there, and and I hadn't looked at it from that point of view, but now now that you pointed out, it's it's clearly there. I I have a pro and a a con. Um, The pro is very much that I do like the moral fiver of Picard still being there in that, you know, going right back to the first episode where he does that interview on Fox News where he's the one standing (laughs) up for old school um, Federation values and and civil rights and civil liberties. And and that to me was a very important part of the character. And look, I've always admired that part of Jean-Luc Picard. Um, There's a speech that he gives in in, uh, an episode called The Drumhead where he talks about, you know, the, the... 
with the first link the chain is forged, with the first speech oppressed, with the first freedom, um, you know, taken. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a wonderful civil rights speech that um, I once had up on my desk at work as a oh, really? little, you know, little statement. Yeah, I, I really love it. Um, so I liked that aspect of him coming through. Um, what I didn't like was this was what I call movie Picard. In that, if you watch the Star Trek The Next Generation movies, Picard in that isn't the same Picard as he's in the series. He's much more this man of action. He's much more this sort of quick wit, wit, wit and sort of um, um, diehard-esque sort of lines. Um, he is sort of, you know, paired up with Data a lot in that because clearly the audiences love Picard. They love Data, so they get to be in movies together. And you get mm. scenes of Picard singing with Data, which like, like he would never <laughs> have done in the series. And that's this character that we get here with these sort of weird, really weird moments that didn't seem right for me until I thought, no, no, this is movie Picard, not TV Picard. That's really interesting. I, I wonder if the uh, makers of Picard just went and watched the movies again before they started writing this, Dave. <laughs> there, there are times when I feel like they did just watch the movies. They, just, they watched First Contact and Nemesis and said, that's it, we know all about these characters. Mm, interesting. But, uh, but yeah, look, that's... That's my take on Picard, and I think it, it swings around that they are just going for this more grim sort of future, which again ties into what I, I was saying about BSG, because BSG is that kind of future. BSG is where everything goes to hell in a handbasket, and governments are very ambiguous and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and I just see it happening here just for the sake of, oh, this will create drama. This will be a great moment in the trailer. Jean-Luc, you used to be a hero, and now you're not. Haha. <laughs> You know, well, well, no, you could have done it where he still was a hero and had him fighting the, the Federation uh, or Starfleet today uh, rather than it all going to hell. I don't know. Yeah, I, I had a bigger problem with the change in the Federation than I did with the character. So, you know, fair enough. Fair mm. enough. Let's talk about some of the plot strands. Sure. Uh, let's start off with probably what was the more interesting or the highlight stuff for me, and that's all the stuff on the Romulan Reclamation Centre on the Borg Cube. Um, I can certainly remember sitting through the first episode and thinking, okay, this isn't bad. I'm, I'm interested about this. I want to know about this. And then they sort of had that last scene of like, on board the Borg Cube, Romulan Reclamation Centre. And I was just going, okay, what's mm. happening here? And if anything kept me going through the episodes that I found a bit dull, it absolutely was that sense of, I want to know what the Romulans are doing on the Borg Cube. And yep, that is a paint-by-numbers, get the audience in Star <laughs> Trek The Next Generation, Romulans, Borgs, mystery, who cares? It worked. It fanboyed me in. Where did you stand on this plot? Well, that's interesting because I don't think it's the big reveal of the series. I don't think it's the most interesting sort of thing going on. I, I think the more interesting stuff is the stuff with the synths. But... I will say I did find this aspect quite interesting. It seemed very logical for them to be sort of rehabilitating these ex-Borg and studying the technology. And I think it could have got really bogged down with Picard having like a non-stop freakout about it all and having been Locutus and all of this sort of stuff. But I think they played a really nice line between having this stuff in the series, having Picard aware of it, 
and and sort of being you know a bit put off by it but not being absolutely traumatized by it and just bogging down episodes with with that sort of thing because i think we've done that back in tng and we've moved on you know and and indeed in the timeline of the series a long period has passed too he's not over it by any means but we didn't get bogged down in it which i was grateful for because as soon as i saw it i was like oh christ are we just gonna have constant flashbacks and no we didn't yeah i agree with all of what you've just said there and i did find that concept interesting that idea of taking people who'd been assimilated by the borg and and, and turning them back which is something that they did all the way back in voyager and well indeed to picard himself in best of both worlds mm. and the way that played out was very interesting i think that you were right and i was wrong rob in terms of which plot strand to get attached to and find importance in because it became very clear around about episode eight that this was not the major plot and after a couple of really big dramatic moments with um the romulans and the seven of nine they kind of just crashed the cube and moved on (laughs) yeah disappointed by that i've got to say oh i'm sorry to hear that well look this is a good time to talk about the synths i mean for me briefly i think this was the big reveal something that i think earth would have been very keen on like you know synthetic life and it would take it would take a major incident to stop it so i think that was played out in a very plausible way showing why they've they've you know gone against it and banned it and all that sort of stuff i think everyday people could be made absolutely terrified of what synths could do you know perhaps without first-hand knowledge of them so there's almost this sort of fear of the other going on in there you know oh, we don't know about these since they go crazy and they kill us on you know mars or whatever wherever it was i think this was a very realistic sort of thing to play out i think it's how humans would react to something like this it's how humans do react to the other you know whatever we're talking about yeah and had they done that i think it would have been really really effective um i am with you rob that some of the particularly the first half of this plot strand was really good and really chilling. That stuff on Mars, for example, at the uh, the shipyards, mm. really memorable scenes, really good. And, and, and you're right, really creepy, you know, hairs on the back of the neck style, creepy sort of stuff. Um, I find it interesting, again, one of my favourite episodes of TNG is The Measure of a Man, which is a very well-regarded episode, I believe, where they have basically a court case over whether data is a living entity with 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 civil rights with human rights mm-hmm. and in the end that the version the verdict is that androids are and they, they can't be used as a slave labor force so i found it very interesting to see the federation sort of going down this path and had this been battlestar galactica or babylon 5 i would have really liked to or even doctor who i would have really liked to have seen more of that thing of that this discomfort of humanity working alongside since it didn't feel federation-y to me, particularly as the show had really gone to great strengths to establish the rights of androids in this universe. So for all the dramatic and effectiveness of the, the material, it didn't sit that well with me. And as it kind of mixed in with the Romulan plot, I started to go, what? And this was the part of the series where I was just going, sorry, so they did to what and then they saw the thing and then <laughs> it because the romulans did it the humans and the, the giant space octopus like right yeah i got lo- i got lost i got lost um yeah. how did you how did you find the sort of that that, that tail end of that that th- thread 
I look to to be honest, I went with it. Maybe I was I was looking at a bigger picture sort of thing and thinking, yeah, the, as I was saying earlier, the federation would be really into this sort of stuff, and I think very very okay with it. So it would it would take a major major bloody thing for them to sort of change, and I think you know so that's how i took that sort of revolt on mars you know mm-hmm. as as just this major major thing it, it made it seem like it was a really 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 big deal because of how earth reacted to it so i went with it i've got to say yeah i i, I enjoyed the visuals of it i enjoyed the spectacle of it i I'm, wasn't quite born into the plot th- strand of it um mm. also not helped by the fact that and can we move on to the romulans here now rob yeah sure what was going on there? Because in, uh, the Romulans were very, very cool. And one of my favourite characters was one of the Romulans. So I'll, I'll be praising them across the course of this podcast. But I don't think the writer's room really came to grips with what universe they were creating here. Because they sort of did the whole, well, Romulus's son went Nova. And it kind of wasn't clear if that was something that happened in a day or over a couple of years um you know did they evacuate some all not all but also this idea of one sun in one system going nova kind of collapsed the whole romulan empire i i didn't quite buy into because this was a vast galactic empire it's it's like saying if you removed earth from the federation yes yes that would be a big deal but there's still hundreds of other planets and it's a shame because in my favorite movie star trek 6 that opens with a similar situation where the Klingon moon of Praxis is destroyed in the opening, but they very clearly say that that is their main source of power for their empire and also the pollution caused by the dilithium explosion, contaminated planets and everything. And So they sort of have that line of there to explain why it's a big deal. I didn't mm. quite buy that with Romulus, but as well, you get moments where the Romulans are these people with all this technology, they're on the Borg cube, they can assemble a fleet of hundreds of ships very, very quickly and then you also go to this world where ex-senators and their mates are just sitting in pubs getting drunk all day because the <laughs> Romulans are now, you know, they're, they're refugees. They're, they're like sort of, you know, Jews pre-Israel sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it always felt like two different writers were writing two different Romulan plots here. Yeah, I got a bit confused because it was like, this is an empire, as you've mentioned. They have a lot of ships. Why couldn't they evacuate their people? Why was it down to Picard trying to lead this Starfleet mission? And then when that fails, it all went, you know, tits up. Like, I, I don't get that. I don't know why they couldn't have saved themselves. It, it's it's just not explained. It's it's There's not even a line to cover it, Dave, as we often like to say. Yeah. Yeah, and, and look, I, I get this idea that if they're having this evacuation of, you know, 4 billion people, whatever it was said to be, um, that that's a lot of ships and maybe the Romulans didn't have enough. But but this dichotomy of we're a super advanced Romulan Empire and we're also impoverished refugees, I, I just didn't buy that. Mm. Um, but, but as I say, some of my favourite scenes, some of my favourite moments and some of my favourite characters were Romulans. So, okay, put aside your, your continuity brain and just go with the flow and <laughs> yeah, there's some good stuff there. Well, should we talk characters, Dave? I don't know whether you want to start with the Romulans, but I think we should talk characters. Yeah, let, let's let's talk characters. Let, let's let's talk about the ones that really stood out and were most memorable to us. So, Rob, who's the one that you most want to sit here and talk about right now? Oh, the one I most want to talk about is Chris Rios. Okay, go on. Captain Chris Rios, uh, played by Santiago Cabrera. Confession time, Dave. I think The Musketeers was one of the best TV shows of the last decade. 
it was real, they don't make them like this anymore, just rollicking fun, no overt 21st century messaging being whacked over people's heads through some historical show, it was just a great show on its own, and my favourite character was Aramis, and okay. Aramis was played by Santiago Cabrera, <laughs> this guy. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, I wasn't familiar with that at all. <laughs> so I knew he was a talent, and as soon as he appeared, I was like, oh my god, it's Aramis, this is fantastic. And, you know, I so I know he's a talent, but he goes next level here. He plays, like, five different emergency holograms, each with a different personality and a different accent. So he does that good line in comedy, but he also does the darker stuff, like when he reveals how his captain killed some synths and one of them looked like Soji, then he blew his brains out. And I was buying into that story completely and his breakdown. He is a great actor. He's the captain of the ship. I really, really, really like Chris Rios. Yeah, great. Uh, he wasn't one that I had to note. He was one that I had to note down, but he was very, very good. Um, I must admit, it took me like half an episode to get what they were doing with the holograms. And I was like, those two actors are really like they look why do they cast two people that look so similar that's that like, and then i realized what they were doing and felt really really silly oh dave <laughs> uh, but no look he, he was very good and i think that that is very similar to the, one of the ones that i really want to talk about which is raffi played by michelle hurd um who i just thought was a really perfect character to pair with patrick stewart and with uh jean-luc picard i thought she was that offsider that he needs, that person who can occasionally prick his pomposity, uh, that can bring things back to reality, uh, but is also really, really loyal. I, I thought she had some depth. I thought that she worked perfectly for the Federation in which they're in. Mm. If you popped her into Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1, you would have gone, no, this doesn't work. Put her back in Battles, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Um, but, in this, but in this style of thing, she was, she was perfect. I thought that was a really good performance. Well, you know, Dave, there was so much hate around Raffi. It's it's unbelievable. I'm talking was online there? hate. Yeah. Really? What 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 about? It, it, even really petty nonsense like um, she calls him JL. She can't call him JL. You know, JL. You know. And I think why why can't she? She's been Picard's number one. She's been his Riker, basically for a long time. Maybe even longer than Riker was his Riker. You know, I, I, I really like that characterization. I thought that was a really good example of what I'm sure many of us have seen in real life yeah. of people who, as they get older, as Picard, I mean, Picard, they say he's like 94 or something. He is old, yeah. Yeah. Like, as they get older, they do become a little bit more relaxed about that sort of thing. And people that, you know, wouldn't have got past their guard when they were in their 50s can when they're in their 70s. Like, I just thought that was a really nice way of showing how Picard had changed. And, you don't show how characters change by, by having the character tell you they've changed. You show it by having characters around them change the way they react to them. And, yeah. and Raffi, Raffi did that. Raffi showed us how Picard had changed. Yeah, and, and, and again, just with her background, of course she's going to have a nickname for him. They've been together for so long. And of course she's not going to be the same formula as Riker because she's not Riker. You know, yeah. it, I, I was just amazed at how uptight people were about her. I, I liked her too, Dave. I liked her relationship with Picard. I liked the substance abuse. I liked that she had a bad relationship with a kid. Um, okay, liked is probably the wrong word to be using there for those things. I But I liked how they were done in the story. I thought it made her a really interesting, well-fleshed-out character. 
Yeah, it's like over the years that Kirk and Spock are together, Spock learns to call him Jim. Yeah, exactly. It, it felt like that to me. And, and yes, I did like that little sort of personal personality side notes there. Um, her son was in Love, Victor. I just picked, pop pointed out I recognised that character. Ah, very good. <laughs> uh, I'll pick one now. How about Darge and, I guess, Soji? Uh, really, really interesting creations. Yeah. Um, I certainly was surprised when Darge suddenly was killed at the end of part one. I thought, okay, okay. they yep. pulled some punches there. And then the mystery of what was going on was really good. I don't know what the internet reaction has been to them, but I'm not sure the actress landed either of those roles that well. Really? Yeah, I don't know whether it was the direction or the tone or, or something. I just didn't think she quite nailed it as much as some of the other actors around her. Okay, because I, I really enjoyed this character and I've also noted down that initial misdirect where, you know, Jean-Luc teams up with her and they're running around and lasers are firing and it's all very exciting. And then she's killed. Like, what? But then there's this longer story where she has to come to terms with the fact her life has been a lie and she's not real. Well, her by her standards of what real is, I guess. Mm. And I took her acting... Maybe you see it as slightly wooden. Maybe I see it as a deliberate... Yes, they're trying to show that she's not quite human. Yep. You know, she does have this uh, slightly unearthly look to her. I believe in real life she, she's got a Filipino dad and a Swedish mum. So she's she's already got this sort of uncommon look that stands out. When you look at the cast, you think, oh, she looks a bit different to everybody else. And I think she was trying to act in a certain way to sort of show she's human but not human. Is that too much of a stretch? No, but I, liked I think her. I, no. I think what you're saying is, is very fair, and and I'm not, I'm not saying she was terrible. There were some good stuff. Um, it was particularly the last couple of episodes, though, where I thought she just didn't land the dialogue she had to land. Right. Well, it was it was it was tough. I mean, when they're on that planet, she's even playing another um, synth as well. Yes. Yes, uh, that is true. You know, it's it's a, it's a big. It's a big job, and she's very young. I, I want to say she's about like twenty or twenty-one or something. She's a very young actress. No, fair enough. And and look, I'm I'm not sticking the boot in. I just thought that she didn't quite nail it compared to a, a lot of others. Oh, fair enough. Where would you like to go next? Well, let, let's let's flip that around and talk about Alison Pill um, of Newsroom fame as Agnes, ah. who I thought absolutely nailed the delivery of her dialogue and her character but her character was not very well written. <laughs> well, I was all over the place with Agnes. Uh, at yeah. first, she was she was like the fun geek in the yep. crew. Like, she's us! Oh, look, there's one of us on the ship. Yay! Yep, yep. But, but then she kills Bruce. And it's like, again, what? <laughs> and and we, we sort of don't know where things are at. We hope she comes good, and of course she does. She's still a killer, though, and that's going to sit with her forever. I, ooh, this character sort of went all over the place. Again, maybe like multiple people were writing it and not quite talking to each I, other. I think that's a really good way of putting it, Rob. It did feel like every episode a new writer has picked up this character and just done whatever they wanted with her. It's kind of like something out of the um, the Star Wars films recently where like the characters just completely change emphasis depending on who's writing a movie. It, it was the, felt the same here. So I just didn't feel that there was that... I just didn't believe it when suddenly she became a killer. 
I didn't believe it suddenly when she was redeemed. I wasn't quite sure how I was meant to feel about this character. Um, mm. Look, credit credit to um, Alison Pill because she lands the emotional notes very, very well. She she delivers the dialogue as well as any actress could. But it was a very disjointed writing of the character rather than a disjointed performance. Yeah, yeah, I I'll, I concur with that. Uh, moving on, I'll pick someone. How about Elnor, played by Ozzy Even Eva Goria, Dave? Uh, I, I will let you talk about him. <laughs> I was so proud to have an Aussie on the cast, but almost right away, I, I must admit, I said to my wife, so he's, he's Legolas basically. <laughs> and then, and then maybe a month or two after the series had ended and I'm reading these articles, I learned that the term space Legolas had been sort of a meme around him during, uh, during the show. So he's a wee bit one dimensional, but I liked him because I think sometimes you've got to have that good really unambiguous he'll never let you down sort of character you know particularly in a show like this where you know starfleet's corrupt and picard's a failure and a dottery old man it's great just to have this character who is just so straight down the line and you know of course now that i say that they'll ruin it in the second series will probably turn evil or something but in this first series he was just great when he turns up you know he's gonna you know be on be on the the good the good side of things he was a very good personification of how this is Star Trek in 2020, not the 1990s. Mm. In that the idea that there is a character whose job is to be the the muscle and occasionally decapitate people on screen. Um, <laughs> you, you know, like, like that's a very, you know, cool thing. It felt weird for me in Star Trek, but fortunately the actor does have a lot of on-screen charm and personality so that... That again got me through, but I guess this is TV now. But I did sort of, you know, watch that Romulan senator's head come off with a, you know, witty line, and I thought, yeah, this is um, this is different. You know, the thoughts just come to me, Dave, and I can't say any of this with any real sort of knowledge because I've never read a Star Trek novel. I've read heaps of genre novels from heaps of genre shows, never a Star Trek novel. Over the years, though, I've seen lots of Star Trek novels in shops and I've seen covers with Klingons and really violent stuff going on and things exploding. Is it possible that the books of Star Trek have been doing this for a long time and now TV's catching up? Is it possible that the books were ahead of the TV show in that way already maybe for 10, 20, 30 years? It's just a random thought that's come to me as we're sitting here. I haven't read books since basically they were coming out contemporaneous with the series so i'm not sure but um yeah no that's that's definitely possible so dave you were reading the books what around the time they were publishing imzadi which was about will Riker and troy's relationship from the show i think they were expanding on it books like that i can remember being about 12 and reading imzadi i have a copy (laughs) of imzadi and imzadi 2 (laughs) on my shelf that is a fantastic wonderful book there you go there you go (laughs) Um, the other character I wanted to mention, Rob, that's on my list, and it is my favourite character, is Narek. Portrayed by Harry Treadaway. Yes, yeah, so I, I guess I've said he's my favourite character, but what, do you, what did you think of him before I sort of wax lyrical? I've noted here, Dave, oh God, I hate this character. <laughs> the, the character, the character I stress, not the actor. So in that respect, he was hitting it out of the park. You know, he was good at what he did. He's he's so, so clever. He's the kind of character who it's really uncomfortable to have around the characters you like. 
because you know he might affect them somehow. He, you know, he might kill them. He might do something horrible to them. He's very good at what he does, but that made me hate him so, so much. So, my favourite alien race from Star Trek are the Romulans. Um, it's never been the Klingons or the Borg or the Ferengi or anything. I've, I've always loved the Romulans. Probably my favourite episode of the original series is Balance of Terror, which is the Romulans' introductory episode. Uh, I love a lot of their episodes in Next Gen. I, I, some of my favourite episodes of DS9 are the Romulan ones, things like In the Pale Moonlight and um, the one that in Latin says, in times of war, the truth is killed. I can't remember the Latin name because... Um, <laughs> DS9 was getting very pretentious at that stage and having Latin names for episodes. Yes. Um, Interama Silent Legus, I think it is. If I've got that wrong, I apologise. Dave, this um, series has a, a Latin uh, name for one of the episodes as well. Uh, yes, Et in, Et in Arcadia Ego, which is the yes. name of a couple of paintings and also a chapter of Brideshead Revisited. Mm. Anyway, um, I digress. We're, Sorry we're, going down, we're going down paths. Um, no, so look, my favourite race were always the Romulans. They are a race where everything is a chess game. Uh, they've got wonderful technological ability, but they're always thinking a few moves ahead. And Narek, mm. to me, was that. He's the character that has got a number of plates spinning. He's got a number of moves on the chessboard. You don't, never quite know where you stand with him, whether he's on your side because it's convenience or he genuinely means it I, I thought this was a really interesting character he was a really good looking character he was a really well played character and again that whole Narak Borg plot was what kept me going in this series by far my favourite stuff oh yeah very good looking when he came on my wife said oh hello <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking over at her like, Jesus, okay, settle down. Um, but look, when he was chasing them towards the end, when they're, they're heading towards the planet where the synths live, and he's chasing them, and they're using countermeasures and all this, and he just keeps chasing them. He's on their tail constantly. I'm like, wow, this is a really good enemy. And that's what made me hate him. Yeah, no, I can totally see that. Um, and just as an aside, it was very cool to see an original series era Romulan um, warbird in there, in there as well. Oh, yeah. There was some fan service going on. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, now, there's probably some returning characters we might want to discuss. I don't know how much detail you want to go into them. People like Seven of Nine, Hugh, Data. Let me start with an overarching comment. And we are, as you know, fundamentally a Doctor Who podcast. Mm. Any desire I have ever had or ever will have to see classic era Doctors come back in future episodes of Doctor Who has been wiped from my desires by seeing... <laughs> 1990s act characters come back in this really I, so I guess that applies to all three of those people I just mentioned uh, look very very much so um, there, there, there were good and bad in there let, look let, let's continue the conversation about Data I thought that Brent Spiner really nailed that character again um, does he look like he did in 1987 of course not even with the CGI but who cares you know we get mm. it um, I thought that he was one who nailed his character really, really well and was used just enough to make it worthwhile. Look, I, I think the cleverest thing was letting Brent Spiner play the son of Noonien Sung. I mean, who else could he play? It, it was great that he could just be himself and look like himself and, and have a much bigger role than just a few sort of uh, data cameos. Uh, I really enjoyed him playing that role. Yeah, that was good as well. And he did manage to differentiate that from playing Noonien Sung himself, which he did uh, in the episode Brothers in season four. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there were times where, again, talking about the character, not the actor, I really didn't like the character and what he was yeah. doing. I, I, I thought he was a bit of a prick. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was good. Um, let's sort of build up Hugh or Hugh Borg. I was really pleased in some ways that they did the right thing and got John Del Arco to come back and play him. Um, but it did take me a couple of episodes to realise who it was. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, because he looked... I mean, I mean, let's face it, the last time I saw him on, on Star Trek was 25 years ago and he was in full Borg arc makeup and costume. Yeah. So suddenly I, I didn't realise it. And even that bit when Picard goes, <gasps> Hugh, I'm like, you? You who? What? <laughs> and then, then it all fell into place. I thought that was really cool. But uh, he... he was a very interesting choice of characters to bring back and they did bring the act- actor back and I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, now look, fans seemed really, really, really excited about Hugh. But can I tell you a secret? I didn't remember him at all from TNG. <laughs> now, granted, it was a long time ago. You, you just said then, 20, 25 years ago, whatever. And I haven't seen the episode since then. But the way the fans were going on, it was like it was the second coming of Christ. Mm. And I was I was really alarmed that I didn't remember this character at all. And so I did a bit of, you know, digging on the internet. And, and no wonder, he was only in TNG in two episodes. Yes. And I think, like, mentioned in a third or popped up on a view screen in a third. Um, so, yeah, it's no wonder I don't remember him. He was barely in it. Um, you know, the character came on. He served a purpose. He was killed off. I felt nothing. But so many fans were like, oh my God, it's Hugh. And then in tears when he got killed. And, oh, it's, I felt like I'd missed something, but I, I don't think I had, Dave. Yeah, look, I get that Iborg is a you know fairly well-regarded and iconic episode for a lot of fans. Um, it's not one of my favourites, but I totally get why it is for other people. Um, mm. So, so I, I kind of understand that. And I, I thought it was cool, but I wasn't over-invested. Um, but that segues me nicely into Echeb who mm-hmm. was in a number of episodes of season six and seven Voyager. Um, and, and Voyager's a season I didn't watch every episode as it went out. I sort of drifted in and out depending on how it was. But I did watch a lot of each episodes. And I really, and this is another occasion of me, I know being in the minority, like my, my liking of Adric as a companion. I really liked each When I was sort of in my late teens, when each was on, he was a character that I could relate to. He was, mm. you know, very, very nerdy. He was very, very... Um, you know, did sometimes struggled in sort of relaxed social environments. You know, he wasn't a party animal. He was a mm-hmm. thinker, and you know, he he he's a couple of years older than me, and you know, I sort of found him quite good looking. I must admit it when I was you know eighteen. <laughs> I, I, you know, I really bonded with this character, and I, I I know a lot of fans didn't, but I did. Um, so seeing him horribly murdered was <laughs> was a pretty pretty terrifying thing for me. And to bring the character back, and it's a different actor as well. They they did. They cast someone who looked a lot like the character used to like, but it was a different actor. But to bring him back just to have him horribly murdered and tortured, I thought was really just unpleasant. <laughs> well, you are in the minority on, on liking this character, perhaps, Dave, because I've made no notes on him at all. <laughs> but, but I think this highlights how people felt about Hugh. There are people who are, are wildly passionate about some characters when other people have no idea who they are or barely give them a passing glance. And and it's, it's the same with, with this character. I, I've literally got nothing written down about him. Yeah, and look, I do wonder whether some um, production room politics came into play here because the actor who played Echib, um 
did have a bit of a Twitter spat. And, and, and look, let's be honest, he was on the wrong side of a Twitter spat with Anthony Rapp at the time that Anthony Rapp um, from the Discovery cast was basically me tooing and, and very appropriately me tooing Kevin Spacey. Um, oh, right. And, and so I kind of wonder, wonder whether bringing him, his character back to horribly murder him um, was a little bit of production room <laughs> politics there as well. If it is, that's quite funny. <laughs> I've got to say. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Riker and Troy. I'll let you lead on this one, Rob. Riker and Troy. Look, I was so delighted to see them again. And I think they're in it for just enough in that particular episode where, you know, Picard goes and hangs out at their lovely house and has a pizza, uh, quite literally. <laughs> their, their daughter is fantastic. And then for it to, to roll on to, to the end where Riker turns up in charge of that starship, uh, that was a punch-the-air, tears-are-about-to-fall moment for me. I loved it. I have mixed thoughts. Yeah. Um, you remember at the start, Rob, I said that one of the things I thought this show lacked was some clear episodes where you could say, that's the episode where. Yes. Um, the exception to that rule was, that's the episode where they stopped by Riker's place to make pizza. <laughs> Which, to me, wasn't the most exciting episode, I've got to say. Like, I, I I know it was lovely and it was warm, but I I just don't think Jonathan Frakes really looked the part. I thought, frankly, I thought both Frakes and Marina Cetus were just playing Frakes and Cetus, not Riker and Troy. Um, what, what, in, in, Dave, Dave, what do you mean he didn't look the part? He looked like he'd been eating pizza for the last 15 years. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's true. Um, look, look. In the in the case of Marina Sirtis, I get that because she gave up playing Dina Troy around about Star Trek Generations. Um, mm. li- literally, by the time she's in first contact, it's she's not doing the Troy voice. It's just Marina Sirtis sounding drunk. Um, and, and, <laughs> yes. and, and this is like, like here, like she wasn't playing Troy. She was playing Marina Sirtis. Like it was Marina Sirtis's accent. And so I kind of felt it was it was less Picard, Riker, and Troy getting together as it was. Frakes, Cetus and Stuart getting together and that's cool and that's fun um, but I didn't really buy them and I actually think I would have been okay with them not turning up Okay, I, I saw it very much as an episode where okay, a lot of stuff's been happening let's have a, a break for a bit of an episode, I saw it as that sort of pause Sure. Uh, and I also, again, really really liked their daughter I think she was an exceptional young actress she, she's yeah. fantastic Yep, no, no, I'll certainly agree with you and pray, praise that. That was a really nice moment. Mm, yeah, and, and the way she would sit there with um, with Soji and, and, and talk to her about, you know, herself. I, I just thought that teased out a bit about the Soji character as well, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. In contrast, though, Seven of mm. Nine, I was mm. really pleased with what happened here because... Oh, God. <laughs> okay, well, okay, well, we're about to disagree again, are we? Yep. Okay. I have always been a little bit cringy about Seven of Nine um, because when I watched Voyager going out and when she was sort of inserted into the cast as part of a bit of a shake-up about season three, it really felt to me like this was like the John Nathan Turner, we need something to get the dads to watch. And yeah. like there was, no, there was no pretense that the actress was on screen to do anything other than to get into a very, very, very tight suit and mm-hmm. show off her body um, yes. in a way that, frankly, I you know didn't, didn't particularly interest or appeal to me. And I mm-hmm. just felt really cringy that this is what they were trying to do. So, therefore, I was actually quite 
excited that when she came back in this, I felt like finally she had a costume that was, you know, realistic, not that stupid make the dads watch cat suit. I, I liked that she had a character. I liked that she had real a real chance to act rather mm. than just, you know, I'm, I'm a de-borged borg with, you know, yeah. Mm. I, I, I just thought the character <laughs> was redeemed by this. Um, so tell me why you disagree. Okay. It, it might not be in the way you think. It, it, it's it's a okay. bit of a, a subtle deviation. In a very fan service series at times, I felt this was the most fan service character. I mean, I lost track of Voyager after the first three seasons, so when she really came on, I guess, in the fourth season and became sort of a regular, it was off my radar. So when she comes on here, all glamorous and guns blazing and, you know, I'm one of the Fenris Rangers and all this... I was actually consciously thinking to myself watching this, this isn't having the effect I think it's supposed to be having on me as a, you know, quotation marks fan. You know, I was thinking the fans out there are going to be going, you know, internally berserk, as Elliot Goblet used to say, just just <laughs> completely internally berserk about, you know, oh, she's back and she's got a gun and oh, she's a ranger. Wow. And I was thinking this just isn't having that effect. I'm, I'm sure it thrilled people very much, but not me. Uh, and, and, of course, it fit well with the overall arc and the Borg stuff, but gen- generally, I wasn't too interested in her at all. So, so yes, I disagree with you, but it's because of my personal background with the series and just not being into this character ever uh, and just sort of just feeling a bit numb with her coming on and being this action hero. It was like, oh, it's, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's not having the effect it's meant to. No, fair enough. And look, one last character I just want to mention, I don't know if you ever thought, Rob, but... I thought it was a very odd decision to really shatter that they were bringing back Commander Maddox, who was in, like, one episode once in season two 30 years ago, to bring him back, played by a completely different actor who, in this case, looked nothing like him, and mm. then horribly murder him as well, sort of, ten minutes later. Well, you mentioned that episode where Data had to prove he was sentient. Wasn't it Maddox who was putting him on trial or, or yes. the prosecution or something. Right, okay, I'm yeah, putting right. two and two together now. Well, I guess that's why they brought him back, because there was that sort of tie-in there, maybe? I, I get that every fan who heard the name, oh, Bruce Maddox, would have gone, oh, that's the guy from Metro of a Man. And I think that that's a really cool thing to do. I just don't think it paid off when a character who looked nothing like him turned up and then got horribly murdered and his research, <laughs> his research kind of didn't mean anything because Sung Jr. was doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think perhaps, although it would have been a shame to not see Spiner play that character, plot-wise, had Maddox been in that Sung Jr. role on the Planet of the Synths, that probably would have made more sense to me. Okay, I think that's a very fair point. Uh, as we head towards the end of the episode, Dave, do we have any general points on the series? Um, so look, I've got two general points that both relate to the ending, uh, have you got anything else before we get to the ending? I've got one on episode... Oh, not episode length, but series length. I think 10 episodes was a really good length for the story and for a series in general. I mean, it goes against the grain of US shows being 22, 24 episodes a season, but I think that's good. And maybe that's the more UK side of my TV viewing coming into play. Like, just do six apps or 10 if you must, you know, and just finish it off. I think it always makes for tighter storytelling... And I think that's always a good thing. Uh, yes, I think there has been a bit of a move 
on streaming services, particularly away from longer. Even 13 is sort of being eschewed now and they're doing 8, eight and 10. Um, I, I agree. I, I think this at 13 would have been really, really struggled. Mm, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, so we come to the ending, Rob. Um, let's talk then about, and look, if you're still with us now and you don't mind the spoilers, then hopefully you don't mind really uber spoilers because we're going there. Um <laughs> The the non-death of Picard and followed by the death of Data, I thought that neither landed. The Picard one particularly, I thought, was just cringe. What mm. about you? Oh, yeah. I'm watching it, and, and they've already foreshadowed that he's got this horrible illness and he's going to die, and you think, well, jeez, he's the, he's the lead character. What are they going to do? So as soon as they rolled on that sort of empty vessel, that yeah. golem, as it were, <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, I see where this is going. And that was like a good episode and a half, I think, before the, the series was ending. And I thought, oh, I'm not sure about this. I don't like this. you know. And then it's like, oh, so he's immortal now. No, no, magically this golem will only last another five years or ten years or something. It's like, oh, this is all too convenient, people. I don't like this. Yeah, it was it was the most unsubtle and just foot up the ass kind of foreshadowing attempt that you could imagine. It just was so you could see that plot coming from miles away and I kind of felt almost insulted that they thought that I was going to be like shocked or emotional at Picard dying for what was obviously going to be 10 minutes before they put him in the new body. Yeah. Um, I, I then have the question, was the decision to kill Data at that point because they thought, well, we've just pulled out of killing Picard, we have to kill someone, oh, okay, let's kill Data? Or was it Brent Spiner said to them, look, I'll come back and do this, but you're killing my character at the end of this because this, this is it. I want a very fine line. I am no longer Data. Um, or, or a combination of the two? Or did it grow organically from the plot? Because uh, I don't think it did. Did, did that one land for you? So so did he pull a Harrison Ford with Star Wars is what you're yes. asking? Yes. Yeah. Look, I, I think, you know, putting putting a writer hat on, they're thinking of the next series and do they want Data to be this ongoing sort of thing, you know, in Picard's mind or, or whatever? No, probably not. So maybe now is a good chance to, to knock him on the head, you know? figuratively and literally yeah. speaking uh you know so maybe even if spiner didn't sort of specify it i think it's probably to clear the decks as it were and say okay well he's done the past is the past we're not going back to Riker and troy even we now have this new crew and they're flying off into the wild blue yonder for adventures for the next five or ten years or however long this golem body lasts for um picard fair enough did you get a lump in the back of the throat or anything at that scene Oh, yeah, I, I did, actually. I thought it was really well done. And I thought, oh, you're manipulating me, you bastards. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, I went with it. Yeah, I, I think had I not just gone through the Picard non-death, that would have landed for me a little bit more. But it was it was kind of spoiled for me because I, I, I was sort of just going to that, oh, my God, don't treat me like this. I know he's coming back to life. And to then sort of kill Data at the back of that, I... I Think had I just gone in clean, it would have worked a lot better for me. Yeah, now that that was probably my low light regarding the show. I've I've also got a highlight. I'm not sure if you've got a highlight to share, Dave. Let me give you my low light first because it sort of dovetails in there. Okay. My low light was the space octopus. Okay. <laughs> I, I just thought, having sort of worked my way through these plots and 
you know, done some complicated diagrams on the whiteboard to work out how everything matched up and, you know, all the stuff with the Romulans and the sect and the sect that is on the Tau Shiar and the da 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 and how O was this and now she was this and once we got all through that and then it was like, we're just going to have lots of spaceships on here and a giant space octopus and just go with it. And I just thought, oh, this is just nonsense. And just mm. it just looked stupid. And I just thought it was a very disappointing finale. Okay. Let's move into my highlight. And again, I hear is where we'll disagree. My highlight for Picard Series 1 is they did something new with Star Trek. You know, for all its missteps here and there... And, you know, I've mentioned several during this recording. I think it stands up. It tells a different story in the same universe. In that respect, I don't think this is dissimilar to The Mandalorian, which we name-checked earlier, Dave. I don't think it's dissimilar at all. Of course, it's had a wildly different fan reaction to The Mandalorian, which I think was universally loved. This, I think, was mostly liked. But I think it's in the same sort of ballpark. I think it's like, here is a universe. Let's tell a different story in it that's different to what we've done before. I think they succeed. I think it's really, really cool that that's your highlight and that that played off for you. And I do agree with you. This did do something very new and very different. For me, it wasn't the same universe, though. And that's a problem for me. It, it felt just a step and a half beyond the, the universe in which Jean-Luc Picard inhabits that I'm aware of but my highlight mm-hmm. uh, my highlight and it probably won't shock you given the things I've said before all the stuff in episodes 2 and 3 with Nerek and his sister on the Borg cube I was just utterly engrossed by that I wanted to know what these characters were doing what was their plot how does this work where is the Borg cube from how are they reclaiming people like, what does it all mean Like, I was utterly engrossed in the series and mm. Those were episodes where I was getting to the end and thinking, right, next week I'm watching the next one. And, and, and those couple of episodes were absolutely the highlight for me. And the relationship between those two, I mean, we didn't talk about his sister, but that almost incestuous kind of thing they've got going on, that that's not strictly Star Trek either, Dave, when I think back on Star Trek. Eh, it's very Romulan. I thought it actually worked for them. Okay. Which leads us, I guess, just into final thoughts. I'll, I'll go first, Dave. I was very happy with this, as you've probably gathered from this recording. I didn't think everything was genius. There are things I'd do differently. But that's par for the course, I guess, with any TV series. When I look at it objectively, did it tell a story I was happy to watch that I look forward to each week? Yes. Genuinely, each week I was looking forward to it. Do I want to see where they go next? Yes. Although I have reservations. I mentioned earlier the crew is blasting off into the unknown. But I don't want this to become cut price Star Trek on a smaller ship. I think these smaller seasons, these 10 episode seasons, are much better with a really smart, linked up arc kind of going on. Not just random story of the week stuff. And, you know, I don't think they'll do that with such a short series to play with next time around. But I do think of stuff like the the last two seasons of X-Files that they made, which were very just short seasons, and they were trying to do weird story of the week things there, and it just doesn't work. And so I really hope season two isn't cut price Star Trek, and I hope it has an arc, and I think I'll be pretty happy with that. I think that this is a series that has some really interesting ideas, some really interesting concepts, some very good characters, some very good actors, and, and looked good on occasion, Mm-hmm. I did feel that the whole was less than the sum of its parts. The tone wasn't quite right. The pacing wasn't quite right. And I think that they do need to sort of 
I think they do need to fix that if they do another season. And I think they need to work out, as you say, what to do if they do another season. You know, who they bring back, who they don't bring back. There were rumours today that uh, Michael Dorn was going to come back as Worf, which I'm not sure how I feel about that, but it could be really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, maybe they should look at doing other characters. And Rob, I I sent you something about this uh, yesterday. Um, there's there's, There's discussions that they are reaching out to Kate Mulgrew to do a Star Trek Janeway series. That's right, you did mention that. Uh, And look, as someone who only watched the first three series of Voyager, again, I'm not as invested in this character as many people are, but that could be a fun thing. Whereas Jean-Luc Picard worked so perfectly well in Star Trek The Next Generation, and for me, always less well in the movies and here, I think the idea of Catherine Janeway removed from the pastel-toned banality of Voyager would actually be a really interesting idea. And seeing what Kate Mulgrew's done since then, I mean, she's a fantastic actress. I mean, look at what she was did in um, those episodes of uh, Orange is the New Black that I saw, for example. Really, really good stuff. I I actually think that a 2020 take on Janeway could be far more interesting than a 2020 take on Jean-Luc Picard. Is it telling that the Star Trek we're most interested in is remakes or or (laughs) reboots of characters who have already appeared in it 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Um. Mm. Well, yeah, it's nostalgia, isn't it? Um, and and it's because Discovery wasn't very good. <laughs> um, you know, Discovery yes. started really well. Like there were some good ideas in there, but boy, did that series lose its way. Yeah, you're unlikely to have an alternate galaxies episode uh, on Discovery on this channel, folks. No. No, I'm not rewatching that. <laughs> Speaking of episodes on this channel, Dave, this uh, episode is going out on the 16th of August. In two weeks' time, on the 30th of August, we have another Doctor Who show where we're doing Christopher Eccleston. We are. I have started rewatching Christopher Eccleston's series of Doctor Who, so I can chat about that. We'll be talking about not just the episodes, but the era, the actor, all those things that go together. So that will be our next regular monthly episode of the Doctor Who show. Fantastic. Well, look, these have been our thoughts on Picard. If you have thoughts on them, why not write into us, uh, hello at the DW Show, or tweet us, or Facebook us, and we'd love to to hear from you. Absolutely, because I've got to say, I'm not plugged in at all to Star Trek fandom, so I have absolutely no idea whether anyone else in the world agrees with either of us, or neither of us, or both of us. (laughs) Well, even the uh, fan sort of reactions I was talking about throughout this episode, they came in dribs and drabs, and sometimes after the season was finished, because I was going through you know, fans of, of other things who I follow who would then talk about Star Trek Picard as well. And so I, I didn't pick it up as this one constant stream, but sort of, you know, a bit here and a, a bit there. Yeah, I think a lot of people did sort of watch it at their convenience rather than, I've got to see the next one now. Yeah, I think once it had gone out in that weekly format, I, I think people have just, as you say, watched it at their leisure. Uh, that's right. Anyway, that's our chat about Picard. We hope you've enjoyed it. Give us your feedback. Please do. But until the 30th, when we talk about Chris Eccleston, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you next time on The Doctor Who Show. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Alternate Galaxies, the podcast where Rob and Dave from The Doctor Who Show take a look at other great sci-fi and fantasy that we think Doctor Who fans might like. You can reach us at hello at the dwshow.net, on Twitter at the dwshow, or on Facebook forward slash the DW show. 
Alternate Galaxies is an irregular podcast, so stay tuned to the Doctor Who show and other programs on our feed to know when the next episode's coming. Our theme music is called Wretched Destroyer and is by Kevin MacLeod. Find him at incompetech.com. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.